Well, thank you so much. Great to be together. Why don't we put our hands together and give a big welcome to all those joining Kingsgate Cambridge, Kingsgate Leicester, watching, those watching online, and a special welcome to Kingsgate youth who are joining us today for this part of the service. Well, I don't know about you, I think it's been an amazing series. Don't you think all the team have done a fantastic job? Why don't we thank everybody who's done such an amazing job in bringing God's Word to us? You know, we've been looking at this incredible teaching of Jesus, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and looking at this whole theme on living your best life. And now we come to the very final part of the sermon. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Uh, You may have heard the particular teaching. It's often known as the parable of the two builders. Uh, I remember um, I went to Sunday school as as a child, and I remember very clearly this parable because I learned a song with actions that helped us remember this particular parable. And so I thought we'd go back down memory lane, and we've had some of our Kingsgate kids record a version of the parable of the two builders. So please watch this. I mean, come on, let's, let's give it. I know we've had some great preachers, but you can't top that. I remember the, the actions. I love the bit about building the house on the rock, and then the rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down, the floods came up. Sung it with great gusto. And then my favorite bit was at the end, when the foolish man's house went crash, and we all sort of like really got into it. The problem was, um, that song made no difference to my life. In fact, Almost for the next 10 years, I kind of modeled that parable. I lived like the foolish man. I lived my life not based on Jesus, not based on the foundation of his word. I lived an incredibly foolish life. I was selfish and I did harm to myself and to others. Many times, sadly, my life went crash. Anyone else can relate to that? Ever had a time in your life when things seemed to be very shaky and your life seemed to fall apart? But then, oh happy day, at the age of 19, I made a decision to invite Jesus Christ into my life. Um, I set out on a different course and I decided to build my life on Jesus and on following him and his word. And I can honestly say from that moment on, I started on a journey of living my best life. And so what I want to do as we come to a conclusion of this series is I want to just step right back 
and ask all of us the question. I mean, this may be your very first time, either online or in person, maybe just joining us today, and you don't know anything about the way of Jesus. Some of you maybe have been here for months or even years. It's good just to step back and ask ourselves a question. Are we actually living our best life? Let me ask you the question. Are you living your best life? Are you fully living out all that Jesus has for you? And so as a way of kind of summarizing and landing this as we look at this parable, I want to ask two simple questions. What is the best life? And then secondly, we'll move on. And the real kind of punchline of the whole sermon is how do we live it? How do we live this best life? So firstly, partly as a way of reminder, let's ask ourselves the question, what is the best life? Well, I think it's widely recognized amongst people, uh, many who are not Christians, that the Sermon on the Mount is the most stunning, radical, revolutionary, influential, and amazing teaching that any person has ever taught in the history of humanity. Why don't we just give the Lord thanks for that? I mean, here we have in our Bibles recorded the most amazing, as it were, vision of a different way of living. You see, when I was going through my foolish life, um, I I didn't know this vision, (laughs) I knew that there was a Bible, but I'd never really studied the Sermon on the Mount. I didn't realize that you could live a different way. And so there's two things that I want to say, of the many things we could say about what is the best life. The first thing I would say is it's a beautiful life. It's the most beautiful life that you or I could ever live. And I want to call us, and I believe the Lord wants to call us to a higher way of living, whether you not yet a follower of Jesus, whether you've been following for years. Well, why is it a beautiful life? Well, firstly, because it's actually the life that Jesus himself lived and modeled. Uh, Jesus does the parable of the two builders, and then the sermon comes to an end, and then uh, verse 28 to 29, the end of Matthew 7, Matthew concludes like this. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause, a bit like we've done. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying. Quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. I think it's important just that we step back and we remind ourselves who we're listening to. We're listening to Jesus. He wasn't just the best rabbi, the best teacher. He was and is the son of God. In other words, he was involved in creating creation. He was involved in designing life to be lived a certain way. Do you know, he was involved ultimately in creating you and creating me and giving us a unique path to follow. So how many think it's worth paying serious attention? If Jesus says this is the way to live, he knows best because he's the son of God. But the thing I love about this And I love about, well, that's what makes Christianity so unique. Jesus didn't just teach this, as it were, from afar. He actually became a human being. And he said, I'm not just going to show you how to live. I'm going to come and live it myself. Uh, You know, with all the challenges of life. You know, Jesus lived a perfect life, but he got tired. He experienced grief. He experienced persecution and anguish. And yet he lived this most beautiful life. Not a restrictive life, but a life of honouring God and serving others. And about you, as a Christian of um, over 39 years, I can honestly say I still believe that the best way to live is not my way, but Jesus' way. Would you agree that being a disciple means simply to follow Jesus? 
And so here we see all through what we know as the Gospels, we have pictures of how Jesus lived. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, we actually have recorded words, as it were, teaching almost like a blueprint for how we can live our best life. And it's a life where we have an amazing relationship with the Father like Jesus. I long for that, don't you? But it's also a life that helps us live the best life in our human relationships. Anyone could do with an upgrade in your relationships. You know, we want to live, we want to live better lives with other people. Well, here's just, I mean, of the many verses I could choose, here's probably the most famous uh, verse, the most influential verse of the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 7, verse 12. We've not really unpacked this in the series. It says this, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. In fact, why don't we all read this together on a count of three? One, two, three. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. If you or I experiencing any relational difficulties, I don't know about you, often the tendency is to think it's the other person's problem. Anyone else do that? Well, sometimes if, if all of us live this way, it would, it would improve our families, it would revolutionise our work lives, our communities. That simple phrase alone would help us live a better life. What a beautiful life. Amen. But the best life is not just a beautiful life, but Jesus makes clear it's also a resilient life. You see, what's clear is that Jesus isn't promising a trouble-free life. He's not promising a life on earth, this side of the new creation. He's not promising a life without difficulty. And so if we zoom back in now to the parable of the two builders, it's clear that the best life is a life that includes storms and winds and rain. I want to say something just for a moment. <clears throat> I'm conscious that you right now may be watching or here today, and you may feel like you are in a massive storm. You know, you're facing personal challenges, maybe health challenges, maybe financial challenges, maybe relational pressures, maybe there's things going on at work. And right now, <laughs> you feel a bit like those houses. You feel like you're being buffeted by, by life's challenges. And can I just want to say that Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit's here. He knows he's with you. He wants to encourage you and he wants to strengthen you in the midst of those challenges. And then, of course, to add to, as it were, normal life challenges that we can all go through in seasons in our life. We've been through a global pandemic. We've got a war in Europe for the first time since 1945. We're experiencing potentially some really troubling economic uh, pressures and, of course, political instability. Anyone else feel a bit like you're sort of being buffeted around by life? And what Jesus is saying is, not a storm-free life, but a storm-proof life. He's not saying we won't go through things, but he's saying if we live his way, we're going to experience a resilience. Say resilience. A resilience that means that when the storms come, we're not going to crash and crumble, we're actually going to stand firm. I mean, listen to the, the two different houses. You see, both the houses experience the same storms. First one, verse 25, says, The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. <laughs> because what? It had its foundation on the rock. Verse 27, though, the, 
second house had the same storms, but because it was built on the sand, it says the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew against and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We could say one house was resilient, or let's put it in personal terms. This is what Jesus, a parable illustrating two different types of people. One type of person builds their life on rock and they end up experiencing resilience. The other is not building their life on the rock and there's a fragility, there's, a, there's an instability. Crash could come at any time. Jesus ending the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, the, the last phrase of the Sermon on the Mount is that the house on the rock, uh, the house on the sand went crash. How many you know that's not a very happy ending? And what Jesus is doing, he's, he's, he's presented the, the most beautiful, stunning teaching ever. I don't know about you, I would definitely want it to have a happy ending. But Jesus loves us too much that he says he's trying to warn us that actually, if we don't follow his teachings and live them out, come on to that in a minute, then we're actually gonna miss out on all that he has for us. And I think resilience is a wonderful thing. Uh, when I was studying for well-being, uh, and uh, you know, we did the whole series there, I was noticed that a lot of psychologists put an awful lot of store behind, uh, uh, about, around the whole theme of resilience. One definition of resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. Anyone like to recover a little bit quicker from difficulties? I think when you're a Christian, there's actually an added sense of which not only do you recover quickly from difficulties, but if you keep holding on and keep following Jesus, somehow even the difficulties can make you stronger. Anyone else notice that? Sometimes we get stronger through tough times. And I think as human beings, we have a massive natural resilience. Human beings are resilient. But the problem with what's happened in the last two, three years, and I'm, I'm talking to teachers, I'm looking at stats of university st students and people who are older than students. And the problem is, it's like, it's revealed. There's been a, a, a lessening or a weakening of our resilience and people just can't cope. Why is there just an increase of uh, mental health problems? Because the storms are just revealed. We didn't have enough inside to keep us strong. But the good news is you can build something on the inside of you that means you can be strong and grow stronger through the challenges of life. I spoke to a friend uh, who I know is going through some, lots and lots of challenges on all kinds of fronts. And I asked that person, I said, how are you doing? And they said, I'm doing okay. And I said, how are the storms? And they said, still got hundreds of them, <laughs> but we're standing strong because we're building our life on the rock. Amen. We're building our life on the rock. Now you may be here and you think, well, actually, I'm fine. My life's fine. I'm not being shaken around. But when we go back to the passage, and this became a little bit of a, a wake up as I was studying this. Most commentators would say that obviously this can apply to present day storms. But if you look at what we heard last week, and um, you, you look at the whole context, the storms in the scripture and in this passage, Jesus is most likely talking about not just life storms, but he's talking about, as it were, the end, the end of day storms when the judgment of God is gonna come. In other words, he's actually saying, there's a heaven to be gained, there's a hell to be shunned, and if you and I want to build our lives, not just for this life, how many don't just want a best life now, 
but you want to prepare your life for eternity. He's not teaching salvation by works, but he's saying here's something about, as Christians, we need to live out our lives in a way that honours the Lord. Anyone want to live a beautiful and resilient life? So then the key question is, how can we live this best life? And the simple answer is by building on the right foundations. This is what this is all about. Now, I'm standing securely on this platform, which is um, part of a building that has some very deep foundations. You say, how do I know? Because I remember the building phase of this building, feeling kind of impatient. I come day after day, and it seemed like they were taking ages. I'm like, when are they going to build the building? And the answer is they were. They were spending months and months digging deep laying a great foundation. Can I tell you a secret? You'll be pleased to know it wasn't a sandy foundation. It was a foundation on the rock. And I'm glad those groundworks people didn't skimp on the foundations. They laid a solid foundation. And if you and I are going to live not just beautiful, but resilient lives and live the, 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 the Jesus way, we've got to make sure that we spend, I would say, more time to the hidden, unseen parts of our lives rather than just to how we look on the outside. You see, the story here that, that Jesus is telling, outwardly, both the houses would have looked the same because you know that foundations are unseen. It's only when the storm hit that it was obvious that things were going on differently. So what's the meaning here? Well, the meaning is the guy building on the rock is described as wise. You know, if you know the book of Proverbs, it's got all about wisdom. And the guy building on sand is, is described as a fool. So what's the meaning? Here's the punchline. <laughs> it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Can we say that together? Puts them into practice. Everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like... So it's a metaphor, a wise man who builds house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So here, he's not actually talking here about, as it were, people who are outside of, uh, completely outside the faith. They don't know anything about Jesus. He's talking here about Two groups of people, we could say both of them potentially read their Bibles. Both of them listen to sermons and great sermon series like this the one we've been listening to. Both of them, if they were 21st century Christians, would probably listen to Christian podcasts. All of which, by the way, are good things to do. It's gone very quiet. But there's a huge difference, you see, because the wise aren't just those who hear the word. They are those who put the words of Jesus into practice. The foolish are those who hear the teachings of Jesus. They read the Bibles, hear the sermons, listen to the podcasts. But can I say they're probably listening to it more for information. They may even be thinking, wow, that was amazing, Jesus. You know, the crowds are applauding. But can I say there's a difference between part of the crowd and the disciple. Disciples don't just applaud the teaching of Jesus. Disciples actually put the teachings of Jesus into practice. The word foolish here, 
the, uh, the word is the Greek for fool is moro, from which we get our English word moron. And the definition of a foolish or stupid person in, 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 is, is someone lacking in good judgment. I don't think necessarily the fool is, is somebody who's, well, I'm just going to build my life on lousy foundations. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter. He knew about this. I mean, nobody in their, in their right mind would intentionally, would they, build their, 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 their house on sand. But I think the, it's the, the foolish person is not intentionally acting on the word. And notice here, there's no middle ground. <laughs> Jesus, as we saw last week, was very black and white. <laughs> there are two ways. There's a broad way and a narrow way, not a third way. There's a wise way, there's a foolish way. There's not a, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but I'm gonna pick and, bick the, pick and mix the bits of the Sermon on the Mount that kind of resonate with my view of life. <laughs> or I'm, I'm just gonna apply the bits that, are easy or comfortable. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? There's no, there's no middle ground. Very simple. The wise obey, the foolish don't. Which person do you want to become like, the wise or the foolish? You see, I've done it both ways, as I said earlier on. You know, I know what it's like to live the foolish life. But from the moment I became a Christian, I somehow got that be, to be a Christian meant everything that every part of my life was up for grabs. If Jesus was Lord of all, he was going to be Lord of every part of my life. And it started for me concerning a key relationship. Some of you may know that prior to becoming a Christian, I had a gap year between school and university. Went away and met this beautiful girl called Karen. We fell in love and, um, you know, not being Christians, we... In, entered into a full-blown relationship and although I'd never really studied the Sermon on Mount, I knew enough about uh, the Christian worldview that God's best way was sex, was a gift to be reserved for marriage. And so I had somehow knew that if I was to become a Christian, I'd have to make some changes. And so on the very night that I became a Christian, I was born again, I felt joy, I felt peace and I knew I had to have a difficult conversation. And so I phoned up Karen and I said, um, I've become a Christian. And guess what? We need to stop sleeping together. Now, how many of you think that was easy? No, of course it wasn't easy for either of us. But we made that decision because there's a determination to go Jesus' way because he knows best. Amen? Six months later, Karen became a Christian on the one of the very earliest Alpha courses, pre-Nicky Gumbel. Yes, there was a life before Nicky Gumbel. <laughs> and both of us, we wanted to just live God's best. And so we'd started out our relationship the wrong way and we were having some challenges. So we thought, right, we're gonna lay our relationship down completely, stop going out, surrender our relationship to the Lord. And I remember in particular, by then I realised that to be married was not the only way. In fact, I studied, I looked at Jesus and Paul, two of the, well, Jesus himself and then Paul, arguably the greatest leader, Christian leader in history. Both of them lived God-honouring, fulfilled, single lives. And so I genuinely sought the Lord, say, Lord, do you want me to become celibate? Do you want me to live that way? And for me, that meant going away to a monastery in the south of France and... 
And I, I sought the Lord genuinely. I spent a week in silence. Some of you like, that sounds pretty radical. The only person I was allowed to talk to was one hour a day with a spiritual director. And the agenda of our time together was, God, does God want me to become a monk? I'm absolutely serious. I was totally serious about it. And so by the end of that week, thankfully, I got the answer. God doesn't want me to become a monk. Yay, praise God. Karen would say I'd have made an absolutely lousy monk. And so... But I just had this sense that, it, that that's what I, I wanted, just God's best, not assume that, that the way we'd done things was, was the, the trajectory we'd continue on. And then, long story short, we still weren't going out together, but I just had a prompting from the Lord, ask Karen to marry, marry you. And by the way, it wasn't, a, oh no, I've got to do that to obey the Lord. I'm, yay! So I asked her to marry me. Thankfully, she said, yes, this September, we're going to be married for 37 years. <laughs> And let me just say, any of you been married, you know that marriage has its challenges. But 37 years on, we can honestly say we've been so blessed, not least because we put Jesus and his word at the very core of our relationship. Jesus' ways are best. Jesus' ways are best. And then, so for, I could go on from sex and marriage to prayer. You know, one of the most transformational things, perhaps the greatest thing that ever happened to me was when I first became a Christian. I was studying the Gospels and looking at Jesus, this beautiful, resilient life, and just noticed how much he prayed. And he went from one place of prayer to the next place of prayer. And I thought, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to live that way. I want to know God like Jesus does. I want a relationship with the Father because I'd experienced the presence of God. I want more of God in my life. Anyone else feel like that right now? problem was I didn't know how to pray and then of course I came across Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount right at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer and I learned how to pray the Lord's Prayer I taught on that a few weeks ago not just for a few minutes but able to sustain and start building a relationship with the Lord and then God started speaking to me you know I wasn't expecting it about finance I didn't know God had anything to do with money I thought money was over here God was over here and I remember very clearly hearing some teaching about putting God first place in our finances and so I thought okay if that's your way Lord let's do it so we started tithing first on our net income then our gross income and then realized that was just the start to living a life of generosity and realised that again and again, not only was it, it free us from materialism, but it also meant we could honour God and resource his work. And I realised that Jesus' way is best. Jesus' way is best. I could go on and on and on. These are what I call some foundational life decisions. And you may be here today. And, you know, God loves you enough that he wants you to to do things his way, because it can be tough at the time, but ultimately it's the best way to go. It's the key to building a beautiful and resilient life. And so maybe now there's something that the Lord's been speaking to you on. You know, young people here, and not so young people here. <laughs> maybe the Lord wants to challenge you. Maybe he's been speaking to you. But can I say hearing God speak and acting? You see, the key thing is I pretty much immediately, <laughs> but eventually... I would, I would almost act on the word of God because I knew that it was not just being a hearer but putting the God, word of God into practice. But I'm also conscious there are many, many of us who've been on the journey for years. You say, well, you know, I, I've got the kind of big rocks. I've got the big areas, if you like, um, sorted. 
But, you know, I've been a Christian now for over 39 years and I am still changing. God is still transforming. He's still doing a work on my life. I'm still hearing him. He's still telling me to obey and to adjust and whatever. And so how do we keep sustained a life of faith and obedience? I don't know about you. I don't want to be one of those Christians who's run a good race and falls at the final hurdle. Anyone else? And I'm not even talking now ultimately about salvation. I don't want to mess up the rest of my life and I don't want any of you to either. Amen. We want to sustain a long haul of obedience. There's just a couple of things that I found critical, that practical things to keep all of us, whether we're starting out on the Christian journey or we're, we're um, going a, a long way. First thing is this, become application orientated. Can we say that? Application orientated oriented, <laughs> application oriented. The message translation, the text says, to be like the wise person means to, I love this, work these words into your life. That beautiful translation, work the word into your life. It's not just there for information or even inspiration, it's there for transformation. Work it into your, your life. And so, can I say, it's great to read the Bible every day. <laughs> It's great to come to church regularly. In fact, I saw an article in the Times yesterday that said that those who regularly come to church are 27% less likely to die early. That'll preach. <laughs> so we're doing the right things by gathering together. But it's a dangerous thing just because I've read my Bible or because I've even heard a message that actually, now there is a power in the Word of God, but the power comes when we believe it and we act upon it. And so, you know, and again, sometimes we've been doing something for so long, we can always kid ourselves to think that we're changing just because we're hearing. And Jesus says, no, hear and obey, hear and act upon it, work the word in. And so one of the things that practically I like to do is, is almost always when I'm reading my Bible, I have my journal. It's, for me, it's an electronic. I've got a, a certain thing where I keep record. I write down what God's saying. And it doesn't mean that every time I come to the Bible, I get this stunning revelation that changes my life. I don't think we could cope with that. Every time I come, there's, there's something God wants to do. There's a washing going on. But I like to write down what I sense God's saying. And even having just the, 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 the journal there slows me down. How many think you could slow down sometimes when you're reading the Bible? Or even when it comes to sermons, you know, we're not coming as sermon samplers, you know, like sort of you've got your cards. Five out of ten. Seven out of ten. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. No, the key is, are we actually coming to apply the Word of God to our lives? What are you going to do about the messages as you hear them? And that brings me finally to the, um, the second really practical key, which is not only become application-oriented, but participate in a discipling community. Say discipling community. In other words, a place where you can work out what God's saying to you. And because sometimes we're not always clear. You can say, well, I think this is what the Lord's saying. But if we've got mature people around, trusted people, they can help us journey on a lifetime of being. See, the pull of culture, our desires, plus the work of the devil, are such that I believe it's extremely difficult, extremely difficult to live a life of consistent obedience in isolation. Can I say, that is why we come together, amen? That is why we need one another, but not just on a Sunday, not just in larger gatherings. We need to follow the model of Jesus, 
for his own sake and obviously for the sake of his disciples. He did life with 12 guys and he had a core of three people. If Jesus needed and his apostles needed a group and close kind of community to do life together, how, how, how do we think we can improve on that? I'm so grateful for people in my life who I can be vulnerable with, accountable to, who can help me do the journey of life well. If you haven't got that kind of group, talk to us afterwards. We would love to help you get stuck in in a real community that helps you become more like Jesus. So in summary, what's the best life? I believe it's the most beautiful and resilient life possible. How do we live it? By not just being a hearer, but by becoming a doer of the words of Jesus, working them into every area of our lives. Now, in a few moments' time, I wanna give us opportunity I'd be surprised if the Lord hasn't spoken to some, if not most of us here today, because Jesus' teaching is he's unashamedly challenging. He wants a better way for us. And so you might like to be thinking, you know, what way do I need to respond? Maybe you need to become a Christian. Maybe you're watching online, you're here. Maybe you need to come back to God. Maybe there's an area you need to surrender to the Lord. But before we do that, we're gonna celebrate baptisms. And uh, because baptism, yeah, because <laughs> baptism is a wonderful picture of obedience. We've got 15 people who are going to get baptised across these two morning services. And um, baptism is, is a wonderful picture of what it means to follow Jesus, but also what it means to become a Christian. You'll see in a moment, if you've never been to a baptism, people being baptised are going to go under the water, get plunged, left very briefly under the water and brought up again. And it's a picture, firstly, of what Jesus Christ has done for us to enable us to live the best life. How many you know it's impossible to obey the law of God without being transformed from the inside out? And so Jesus came, He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and He rose again. But it also means when we put our trust in Jesus, we die, as it were, to our old life, our old foolish life. <laughs> our old life is buried and then we get born again and the resurrection power of Jesus comes into our hearts and life, transforms us from the inside, fills us with the Spirit so that we can live the life He's intended for us.